this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering four conversations from episode 59, our review of the recent Nature Reviews Gastroenterology and Hepatology paper titled Advancing the Global Health Agenda for NAFLD. Lead author Jeffrey Lazarus starts this conversation by describing the ambitious and rigorous process for conducting this study and analyzing results, and then discusses a few key findings, some encouraging, others extremely disconcerting. Next, Jorn Schattenberg describes how it felt to be part of this process. And finally, Stephen Harrison speaks from a physician's perspective, discussing how important the study is and how the way the U.S. health system operates makes identification, diagnosis, and treatment of NASH patients challenging. This global health agenda has been endorsed by medical, governmental, and patient advocate stakeholders around the world. Its results and insights have the potential to shape the global dialogue on NAFLD from here forward. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. When you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Why don't we move on to our discussion? I posted, well, I sent everybody who's requested to be in live audience a copy of uh, the article, and I think we posted a link in one of the LinkedIn's as well for those who want to read it. But I think I'm just going to ask Jeff to start off by talking a little bit about this paper and how it came to be. And um, I'm a big fan of Delphi processes and things like that, so also a little bit about how you actually did it, how you made the magic happen. Jeffrey Lazarus. Thanks. I'm, I'm so incredibly excited about this paper. I mean, we had 218 co-authors from 98 different countries. I think at one point I was spending more time on making sure people's um, affiliations were correct than the content, at least in the proofing stage, since they managed to get off by, by one number. But it was a truly remarkable process and a close collaboration with the journal Nature Reviews, Gastrohep, and and particularly the chief editor there, Karina Ray, who was just, just fantastic and incredibly supportive because she saw what we wanted to do. This emerged from the ESO International Liver Foundation Foundation with a lack, as we know, of approved drugs, you know, really for NAFLD and NASH and really no public health approach being taken, at least systematically, anywhere. And co-commentators, um, feel free to push back. I'd love to know where there is a public health approach, particularly to fatty liver disease. But with nothing happening globally, bringing together the key stakeholders, both clinical and from the community, patient groups and patient groups of all stripes, including liver patient groups, but also obesity, diabetes, we all convened and for over a year we discussed that we needed to do this. We wrote some comments, we slotted it into discussions of other papers and then finally working together with um, the think tank Wilton Park in the UK, we came together, we discussed the issues and with a core group of around 40 experts from around the world and also from the large societies, ASLD, ALE, Apostle, ESO of course, where I sit and leading patient groups, we wrote out the statements, we worked to get agreement among among us, we ran evidence reviews of where we are in different key aspects of understanding NAFLD. So, you know, how are we doing in epidemiology, in country preparedness, prevention, treatment, awareness, education, models of care, etc. And then we put it to the group. So we asked everyone to propose experts looking for geographic and gender equity to the extent we could so that leaders in the field from as many countries as possible. And in some countries, we really tried hard to find anyone who knew anything about the liver, but 
some of the small island states are definitely not represented where there was not a hepatologist in the in the entire nation. But really, with almost 100 countries represented, we were able to get a real understanding of the diversity of approaches from nothing at all to a little bit, at least in terms of looking at it from the public health, health systems, health policy um, perspective. So we ran three Delphi rounds. So we put the statements to everyone in the first round and then had a massive revision and then a meeting of the steering group that Nancy Lee from the Wilton Park Think Tank chaired for us. We had an independent methodologist, Diana Romero, from the CUNY, the City University of New York Graduate School of Public Health and Health Policy. So she was able to ensure that even I didn't know who was responding and she was managing the follow-ups using the electronic system there and someone from my team was working with her. And so it was quite a big operation. As much as I'd like to think that the different tools all work so well, we ended up having to get someone come with some coding, help us through some of the electronic and and IT issues to make sure there were no glitches and we weren't overwhelming people with follow-up messages. After that first round, the core group came together, looked at the revisions we made. Some statements completely fell out. Many were adjusted. Some were largely rewritten. We discussed it. And then we went through and discussed a, a set of recommendations. So we put the revised statements, the new recommendations into round two, into R2, back to the 218 panel members. And then we had another round of, in this case, much more minor revisions, put it to everyone again for R3, for round three. And there we were able to get really a large degree of agreement on most of the statements. It's all reported in the article, so I won't go through it in detail, but it didn't surprise me that everyone believed in the importance of a public health approach. I was surprised sometimes how unanimous it was with all respect to to, to the clinicians. I appreciated that they understood how much we had to do in order to raise awareness and education. I think many people learning from viral hepatitis where we suffered in hepatitis C, some of that diagnostic burnout and kind of started to run out of patients in some settings very paradoxically with most people in the world not diagnosed in some settings, we can't really find people to treat. So so with these learnings in mind, there was a high level of agreement on most of the statements and most of the recommendations, a little bit lower on some issues around non-invasive tests. And I know you've been discussing NITs on the program earlier, but in general, we just wanted to get a baseline and say, this is where we are, which isn't very far along, that we've done some work on preparedness and found a century of 120 countries, none scored over 50. So in the American standards, none would have passed for being prepared. I mentioned it to some colleagues in Europe and they said 50 wasn't so bad and I said 50 is pretty bad if you're in school in the US but apparently in Europe there's some different scales in there but no one would have passed from a, you know, a 0 to 100 score in the US so knowing that countries are really poorly prepared we wanted to get the key stakeholders clinicians patient group representatives on the same page that we need to join together we need to build a coalition we need to raise awareness on a whole range of core issues really that were grouped into sort of eight areas around epidemiology awareness care and treatment to public health policies and leadership. In the article, we point out some really disconcerting issues like when you look WHO, World Health Organization, technical guidance on non-communicable diseases. The only time the word liver is mentioned is in the word deliver, and that's usually related to one of the other non-communicable diseases, not to mention fatty liver disease, NAFLD, NASH, not mentioned at all once in the technical materials of our leading global health, uh, world health body. So, you know, we really have a long way to go, and I know we want to discuss the consensus statement more, so I won't put the cart before the horse, but the next step is really to act on this consensus statement and build that coalition so we can move forward the way folks have in with other conditions. Let's make sure we reserve time to come back to that, because I think actually you don't do the statement justice if you don't talk about the next steps. That's a really helpful start. Thank you. Jorn, how does it feel to be part of all this? Jorn Schattenberg. Yeah, I was very grateful Jeff invited me on, and really full credit to him and the colleagues from Easel International Liver Foundation. For me, this was one of these 
heads up moments where you are rising above the area that you normally look at. You know, I'm seeing patients discussing standard of care test results, but all of a sudden here we are looking from a helicopter view at healthcare systems and discussing not a single patient, but the entire community. And are we prepared for this disease? The view that Jeff brought in here and all the fantastic colleagues that contribute are so much larger than the individual problems a patient has. And realizing that there's so many steps that are crucial to develop and implement care for all these many patients that are seen in everyday clinic just really was something new for me, a view that I haven't had the opportunity to partner in science with yet. So uh, very grateful that I could be, become a partner in this and looking forward to develop it further because bottom line, we can't anybody else get to be convinced that this is a serious disease. We're not going to have the funds, the research, all the requirements we need to really advance the field and uh, for the need of our patients. You're into, and really, Stephen and Louise, I mean, as clinicians, you know, I feel a little bit like here I am coming into your world, um, you know, with this public health approach. And it'd be nice to hear, you know, how do clinicians receive that? I mean, obviously, those involved in this statement, I think all received it quite well. Otherwise, they certainly weren't going to tell me. But how is it that sometimes it's a real clash between the clinical and public health approach? And in fact, if we had the kind of success I'd like to have with increased awareness, your your offices would be flooded with people asking about fatty liver disease. And we know that most of them probably wouldn't need at least specialist care. Stephen Harrison. I'll take a stab at that. So, Jeff, I think this article was timely. It's very apropos and important. To your point about disease awareness, that's a huge issue. It's a huge issue for patients, for providers, for public policy makers, for the payers. It's important for all of us. You're right. If there is suddenly this outpouring of marketing and we all are aware of fatty liver, uh, there would be a tsunami, if you will, of patients approaching the front door of these clinics that would overwhelm them. And in the U.S., you know, we're a medical society that, quite frankly, is built on greet them, treat them, and street them. You've got 15 minutes to see a patient, and if you're primary care, you're going to get reimbursed based on are you providing the level of the care that the government has established Established as baseline. Are you referring the patient for colon cancer screening? Are they getting their mammogram appointment? Did they get their prostate check? You know, is their blood pressure under control? What's their lipids look like? What's their A1C? And by the time you go through all what we call ETIS measures, what you're left with is about five minutes of, do you have a complaint today? If you have one, that's great. If you have 10, tell me the one that bothers you the most. And that's what we will address in the few minutes we have left in clinic. And we all, lament the patient that comes in and they have fibromyalgia in their past medical history because that intuitively means that they're now going to have at least 15 complaints and their medicine list is extensive. Now, that's overblown, but that's one of the things we struggle with in American healthcare is having enough time to deal with all of the problems that these patients come in with. It doesn't make it right. We should have more time to see these patients. But even as a gastroenterologist, when I left the military and joined private practice, I was given 15-minute time slots. And as a liver doc, I said, there's no way I can see a new patient with all the complications related to liver disease in 15 minutes. So I changed mine to 30 minutes, but that was met with a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And now, back to Roger. We hope you have enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, December 15th, with our next episode in which we review the Splendor Study on Bariatric Surgery and the Impact of Related Weight Loss on the Liver. If you want to join the live audience Monday, December 13th at 3.15 p.m. Eastern Time, email surflive at surfingnash.com, that's S-U-R-F-L-I-V-E, with the request that we will send back a link to serve as your admission ticket. Or simply look for our invitation post this coming Friday. I hope you join us then, either live or on the podcast. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.